the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Rob Black Podcast. Check out Rob every weekday morning from 10 to noon on 910 AM and Talk910.com. It's Rob Black Show, headline news, top of the hour. After being grilled before a Senate panel on Capitol Hill as to the role Goldman Sachs played in the nation's financial crisis, the investment bank CEO Lloyd Blankfein, he says Goldman needs to do some soul search and make some changes in how they run their business. We're going to take account of the public needs. We're going to do our traditional role of helping to finance companies and help companies grow. We're going to make a contribution and apply ourselves in a way that makes ourselves people feel we're valuable again for Main Street. Now, Goldman Sachs is being accused of ultimately cashing in on the housing crash, crafting a strategy to bet against home loan securities while misleading its own investors. Um, I don't think a lot comes out of these hearings, to be quite honest with you. It's really tough to regulate a market that's transparent and illiquid. And again, that's not something that concept is going to ring in your head because you don't get it. You've never worked in that field. You've never worked in that industry, but it's, it's a truism. So it's something that... I think there'll be a lot of posturing. I think there'll be a lot of quotes. I think there'll be uh, some scathing indictments, but it's, it's, you can't, it's, it's unregulatable. What you can do is tax the business model, but you can't regulate that. So we will get in this problem again down the road. We will. I guarantee it. Interest rates. They've been hovering around record low levels for a long time. Today, the Federal Reserve is meeting. Will they come out of that meeting? And will they raise interest rates? Will it continue low rates? Yes or no? We've got more com- We've got more confidence. Consumers are opening their wallets again. Manufacturers are producing more. But is that enough to get the Federal Reserve to boost interest rates? Most analysts are predicting no. Fed Chair Ben Bernanke and other bank members are still too concerned about unemployment and the housing market, both of which are taking their sweet time to recover. Expect rates to stay around zero to a quarter of a percent. In Washington, Jill Nato, Fox News Radio. So our Federal Reserve governors are meeting today, and ultimately, this is a bunch of bankers from different regions, San Francisco, Dallas, Philadelphia, Chicago, that get together and they go, raw, 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 raw. what's happening in your neighborhood? Raw, 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 raw. How's housing prices? Raw, 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 raw. How's the jobs? Raw, 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 raw. And at some point in time, they'll say, you know, our money policy is, is too inflationary. Things are so good out there. Things are so good that everyone's buying houses and everyone has jobs, and therefore, we better raise interest rates. The Fed's job is to stop inflation in housing prices, stop inflation in wages, stop consumer price inflation. And they do that by monitoring the interest rates, keeping it lower when we need to stimulate the economy, moving it higher when you need to slow down the economy. Elsewhere, a decision from the Obama administration that's expected today on a controversial plan to build America's first offshore wind farm. In fact, they've already decided to do that. So from the time that I found this story to right now... Um, the wind farm has been A-OK, the Cape Cod wind farm. Supporters say the opposition is simply a case of not in my backyard. 
Generally, the opposition has been fought by a comparatively small group of rich people, and they don't want to look at these things. Coming up later in the show, I'm going to go over a couple investment options and investment ideas tied towards wind power because it's in the headline news. And if it's in the headline news, well, sometimes there's some short term plays to be made on that. Now, I was never a kid who really liked Happy Meals. I grew up in Europe and I didn't have Happy Meals. But I saw the story yesterday about unhappy meals, and it made me sad. No more toys and kids meals in one California county. Fox News Radio's Jessica Rosenthal reports about a new rule meant to fight fat. The Santa Clara County Board of Supervisors has approved an ordinance banning the inclusion of a toy in high-calorie kids' meals. The supervisor who wrote the ordinance says the toy just gives an incentive to eat the fattening meals, which can lead to obesity. The California Restaurant Association's Dan Conway says they're disappointed. Most people feel that, you know, they are in the best position to to parent their children. In this situation, I think the Board of Supervisors felt that they needed to parent the parents. But he says this will only affect a total of 12 restaurants in the unincorporated parts of the county. Jessica Rosenthal, Fox News Radio. McNuggets don't make kids fat. Parents make kids fat. Um, I think banning toys and Happy Meals is un-American. I think it shows you that we live in a nanny state called California where parents don't have to take any sort of responsibility for their children. It's it's the government that has to monitor it. Uh, I'm not offended by toys. I'm not offended by toys and Happy Meals. And yes, I know kids will go, Ma'am, ma'am, I want a cheesy poof. And yes, I know kids are controlled by junk food. And yes, I know advertising is geared towards them. Yes, 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 I know. But it's up to the parents to have some discipline to teach the kids the proper way to eat. They take the video games out of their hands and and have them go run around. So chicken McNuggets don't make kids fat. It's like the old, you know, bullets killed, guns killed, gun laws. I I think this is just California, just being so California, snobby, snobby nanny state that we are. Anyway, shots fired at a funeral. Speaking of guns that kill people. Only in Oakland. Shots were fired at a funeral in California yesterday, but Fox News Radio's Jessica Rosenthal reports no one was hurt. Witnesses say everyone at the Baptist Church in East Oakland scrambled when gunfire erupted. Mourners were laying 18-year-old Devante Riley to rest. He'd been shot by a 15-year-old girl who was at his birthday party. Uh, Officers arrived there and found a large crowd in the middle of the street in front of the church fighting, and several people were armed with firearms. Holly Joshi with the Oakland Police says five people were arrested. Three of them had weapons. No one inside the church was injured. One witness told the San Francisco Chronicle that people came to the funeral from an area that did not get along with Riley's group of friends. Jessica Rosenthal, Fox News Radio. Something we got to invest in is education and getting our kids off the streets, whether it be in Oakland or Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. once was the murder capital of the world. And I used to live in Washington, D.C. And what was sad about it was it wasn't, you know, tourists being murdered. It was kids killing each other. Um, I don't know what to say other than our education system is massively failing. And, uh, I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer in any way, shape, or form, but firing shots at a funeral, it makes no sense. And and burying an 18-year-old kid, it's probably the one thing that I couldn't get my head around if I tried. If you tried to figure out burying a baby, uh, two, three, four months old, it's something that will never make logical sense. And I'm like the most logical person on the planet. It never makes sense when a parent has to bury a kid. Let's go to Rachel on the phone in San Rafael, 800-345-5639. Rachel, how are you? Rachel? Oh, hi, Rachel. 
Rob. Um, I was very concerned when you mentioned Intrinsity being purchased by Apple because I thought TriQuint was going to do all the semiconductors in the new iPod. And what, what's your thinking on that? I don't know if there's a direct correlation. Um, I think Broadcom is one of the semiconductors that's a big winner because of all the wireless things that are happening. As far as uh-huh. frequent semiconductor goes, they make semiconductors that are made of gallium arsenide instead of silicon. And um, Is that bad? No, no. Gallium arsenide is a, a material that handles electricity a lot faster. Huh. Um, so I'm not a big fan of the stock it was heavily tied towards the 1990s, where if you take a look back, when we were just really starting to walk as infinites in the internet superhighway, uh, TriQuint was a huge winner because they used oh. specialized materials, um, gallium nitrate quartz instead of silicon as the substrate for the analog surface. And it, it basically allows information to f- bounce back and forward fast. Uh, they got a lot of customers, though, so oh. I don't think you should be all that freaked out. Oh. Uh, Rachel, companies like Boeing and Ericsson and Motorola and Nokia and Raytheon and Samsung. Oh. So I, they, their contract wins will, will happen. The oh. design and fabricate services, uh, nearly two-thirds of their sales comes outside the United States. So oh. um, I don't think there's a definitive tie that I can see towards oh. this story. And thanks for the call. Okay, thank you. Sure. Um, let's see. Yesterday, Triquit, not yesterday, uh, about a month ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, here's a little bit for you. iPad's teardown report was Broadcom was a huge winner. And for the next iPad, TriQuint and Sawtuck are going to be, be a big winner. So the 3G iPad, which hasn't been released yet. So they have won a design into that. But like I said, they're a little bit more than just a play on Apple. It looks like a most analysts are seeing a $9 price target on it. See if there's anything else that I can find that just looks horrific or uh, any sort of big flags for you. And I'm really not seeing any. So uh, $8 stock, it's certainly trending higher. It's a semiconductor, and semiconductors have had a very good year this year. Yesterday at the 910 webpage, talk910.com, talk910.com, I talked about a new IPO that's a semiconductor and how semiconductors as a group doing very, very well. To get your calls in there, it's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. One of the stories I did in my headline news was the Not In My Backyard Wind Farm. It did get approved. I'll talk about investments in wind coming up right after the break. 800-345-5639. It's Rob Black Show, 910 AM. More stimulating talk. It's like finding a 20 in your inside coat pocket. All right, well, actually, it's more like finding a 10 in your inside coat pocket, but it still feels pretty good. It's the Rob Black Show on 910 AM. More stimulating talk. Hey, everybody, it's me, Rob Black, host of the Rob Black Show, 800-345-345. Five six three nine to get your calls in the air. It's eight hundred three four five five six three nine to get your calls in the air. Now a decision came down today from the Obama administration, and it was tied towards building America's first offshore wind farm off the coast of Cape Cod, Massachusetts, where the Kennedy family and others generally who support the development of alternative energy, they basically said the project would endanger marine life, and they didn't like it. Uh, where do I go with this? Uh, 
We know at some point in time it's going to be more responsible for us to develop these energies. The problem is our power grids really can't handle it. So there's going to be a huge infrastructure expense where we have to upgrade things. You know, we're just, again, what's going to win? Solar? Solar in the desert has problems because it needs water. I think solar is going to be a lot more local than it is regional. So talking about wind power, Heidi, my producer, is a little bit of a hippie. Yeah, she's not a smelly hippie. She's a hippie that washes and showers and is clean and is, well, daisy fresh. She said this morning, she goes, this wind story, I like it. You know, because, again, she understands that oil is polluting and coal is polluting and natural gas, it's clean, but it's it's polluting. And, you know, we love our pollution-free world. If you were to take a look at investing in wind energy, it's not obvious. It's not... You know, oh, these companies are so much better than other companies. Um, and there's there's different ways of looking at it. There's the way of the individual company or an index fund. So there's something going on there. Now, I guess where I want to try to take this is to say that there's also investments in water. I mean, we need clean water as much as we need air energy, wind energy. Um, And you could invest in water in the United States or you could invest on an international water basis. Water internationally is a real story. Water in the United States, we're kind of used to seeing our damn tap turn on and water come squirting out. So wind energy is going to have the same kind of idea. Wind energy in the United States and wind energy internationally. And after soaring from all-time lows in March 2009... Alternative energy, alternative energy ETFs, you know, they've fallen sharply in 2010, and, and they're not good investments yet. Now, even with this story, Cape Wind Project, it's not a good investment yet. But if, what I would do is I would start looking at your options if you really want to play in this world or in this arena. And the best thing that you could do is figure out who the players are. Now, again, in wind energy, there's going to be players on the utility side of the fence, in wind energy, there's going to be players on the technology side, the turbine side. So there's different angles. I mean, it's it's not pure and clean. It's not like, oh, I get it. This is exactly how I'm going to make my money. So you have to decide where how much risk you want. If you want little risk, you would go after the utility companies that are investing in wind energy projects. If you want a little more risk and a little bit more reward, you'd go after the companies that are investing in... Uh, you know, directly in the turbines themselves. So let's talk a little bit about this. And again, there's two ETFs that I'm going to throw out. I don't own positions in either of these. I'm not endorsing either of these. I'm not saying that you're going to make more money than God in either of these. So I think that's, I have to say that out loud. And again, what I would do is I would use this as a research project so you could start figuring out what you want to do. Now understand, for instance, back in the 1990s, one of the when I did this show, people would say, "What what's the next internet company I should invest in?" Well, I said, "Well, go to the Robertson Stevens um, Information Age Mutual Fund, or go to the Robertson Stevens Aggressive Investment Fund." And they were doing a lot of public financing, but they would also do a lot of mutual funds. And a mutual fund has to tell you their holdings every 90 days. 
Every year they publish all their holdings. Every 90 days they publish all their holdings. And you can see what their, their holdings are. Not just the top 10. Now in between you see the top 10. But if you're a member of that mutual fund, you can see all the holdings. Now you won't know when they bought or when they sold. You won't. It'll be too tough for you to figure that out. But you could do homework by going and searching out mutual funds that were sexy and doing great things and, and in the sector that you wanted. I mean, you could use the same idea here right now. Like, for instance, if you want to invest in China, if you, if you don't want the mutual fund angle, what you could do is you could find out who the players are by going to Matthew's China Mutual Fund, downloading the prospectus, downloading the um, last year's annual report, and and right there, it's going to tell you the 25, 50 names that they invested in. And that's your that's your your research project. That's where you start. So the same thing with wind energy. What you do is you take a look at the two major ETFs. And the two major ETFs, in my opinion, are one is American-based and one is internationally based. Now, Europe and Asia continue to lead the way in the development of sustainable wind energy. Now, the United States, we're, we're behind the... I refer to Europe. I, I refer to Europe as they are the parent and we are the student in America. They truly are, in my mind. And they, they're leading the way in energy. Um, they expect the completion of 10 European offshore wind farms in 2010, which is a market increase of 75% compared to 2009. The regulatory uh, regulator of electricity and gas markets in Britain confirmed that wind subsidies have surpassed $1 billion a year for the first time. Uh, one billion uh, pounds for the first time uh, in Asia, wind capacity is expected to surge uh, to about twenty five point five gigawatts by two thousand and thirteen. So the wind energy sector, it's kind of like a baby in the United States. We're still talking about ten thousand megawatts, not gigawatts. We're still talking on the small side. So the more mature way to play would probably be international. And there's a mutual fund called PowerShares. Global Wind Energy. It's actually an exchange-traded fund. And the ticker symbol on this is PWND. Now, there's one in the United States. It's uh, FAN. Now, again, these are very related. They're very related. And sometimes they own the same exact stocks, but not completely. The indexes or the funds, they contain... If you were to break down the wind energy sector, you would say that they're manufacturers... There's developers, there's distributors, there's installers, and then ultimately there's the users, the utility companies. Now, FAN, ticker symbol F-A-N, it follows the Global Wind Energy Index, which is an ISE index, and it gives an aggregate weight of about 66% to companies that are identified as providing goods and services. Companies determined to be significant participants in the wind energy, despite not being exclusive. So, for instance, um, a company like a General Electric you know, builds the turbines. They set up the, the services of the turbines, but they also do credit cards and jet engines and other things. So 66% of this fund is dedicated to the, the, the newer players or the dedicated players. 33% are the secondary players like a General Electric. And again, when you buy a fund like FAN, an exchange-traded fund tied towards wind energy, you're like, what's General Electric doing in here? And that may offend you, or that may be like, sweet, I got a big old company in here. So you feel a little bit safer about it. Now, both these indices have significantly underperformed the market, and I'm not worried about that. What I'm worried is about the future. I think FAN is a little bit more attractive because it's only 60 basis points in costs, whereas PWND, which stands for Power Wind, Power WND, okay, that's about 75 basis points. And again, they're slightly different. 
for me, fan is more U.S. based, U.K. based type of play, whereas PowerShare's Wind (PWND) is more of a France and China, really the cutting edge of where wind power is going. Now, to dig dip a little bit deeper, to do a little bit more of what's it called? Uh, to put it a little bit more under the microscope, to put a little bit more uh, research into this. If you take a look at the the holdings of Fan (FAN), what you're going to see are names like Siemens and BP and Royal Dutch. You're going to see names like Nordex and Infigen Energy and Gamesia Corporation and Vestas and Hansen Transmissions and Repower. And you're going to go, I don't know these companies. So what I would probably do is set up a portfolio. Most websites like, well, not Excite, holy mackerel, where did that slip come from? Most websites like Yahoo and Microsoft and Google will let you set up portfolios. And you could set up one called Wind Energy. And you could punch in all these ticker symbols and you could start following them. And, you know, for instance, if you flip the page and go to the power shares, you'll see, you know, the top 25 holdings there. So you'll see what sort of total holdings they have. Like there's a company there called ABB. Don't know it. It's in my list now. Green Tech Energy. Don't know it. It's in my list now. So that's how I would handle taking a story like the Cape Wind Project and developing a portfolio around it or maybe a portfolio idea around it. And I think uh, that's pretty good information. And I think most of you can handle that. It's when you invest in stocks and bonds and mutual funds, you kind of become a little bit of a detective. So my advice there was find a couple mutual funds or exchange traded funds, get their annual reports, read them. The annual reports will also say things like, we expect uh, wind power generation to go from megawatts to gigawatts. And you'll say, wow, that's a tenfold increase. So you'll start learning some of the, the, the ideas and some of the stats. Now, again, I wanted to invest off an annual report because that's kind of a glorified PR piece. But there's a lot of good data in that glorified PR piece if, if you know how to dig it up. And again, you got to become a little bit of a stock detective to be successful in anything. I'm not recommending you invest in wind. I don't know you, and I don't know the wind industry as well as I should. So with that said, that's where I would start as far as uh, developing a knowledge base and as far as uh, figuring out research capabilities and research ideas. So uh, one last comment that I want to talk about the Cape Wind Project is when we played the national headline news at the top of the hour, someone said, I don't want it basically in my backyard. You know, the Kennedys don't want it at the Cape. (laughs) Their family lives at the Cape. They don't want to see a wind turbine. They don't want to sit down and, hey, hey, Teddy, look at the, the beautiful sunset and you see a wind turbine out there. People don't like that. Like in, in, in Hawaii, uh, you see some wind turbines up on the hills and, and the residents are like, well, yeah, we like wind tur- energy. But as uh, tourists, we're like, that it destroys the beautiful view. So understand there's always going to be a not in my backyard angle. And I think that's more kind of a, an American snottiness. Anything else? For instance, we want cheap gas, but we don't want our energy refinery, uh, oil refinery anywhere near us. We want it in what we consider third world countries like Aruba. Like if it's close enough to us that we can pollute their area and not have to deal with the traffic and, and just ship it over to us, fine by us. So Americans got a little bit of a not in my backyard angle. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. Coming up, I'm going to talk a little Rubini in the European Union. And or I'm going to talk about Magnum condoms and the investment angle there. Believe it or not, there is. 800-345-5639 is Rob Black Show, 910 AM. More stimulating talk. I close my eyes. Oh. 
blowing 10 grand in Vegas on the first day and then making it all back and more on the second. The Rob Black Show on 910 AM. More stimulating talk. It's the Rob Black Show. I'm going to stick with wind for a little bit longer. There's a champion of wind energy, a guy named T. Boone Pickens. And uh, he's one of those Dallas oil people that has a big old 10-gallon hat, probably a 20-gallon hat. And he, a couple years ago, had this, you know, he bought some commercial time and told America, America, I'm going to build a wind farm. The biggest wind farm you've ever seen. It's going to be Dallas-sized wind farm. And the guy is ultimately all hat and no cattle, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, The Dallas Morning News in 2009 did a little piece on him that basically he scrapped it. He said, I can't do it. He wanted to do this massive wind project in the Texas Panhandle. He estimated the project would produce 4,000 megawatts of power by 2014. His plan is to spread his wind turbines across smaller plots now in the Midwest. He bought 687 turbines for the project. And by the beginning of 2011, a first round of order turbines are going to be landing on his doorstep. So we're going to see it. But the credit markets, you know, these projects are expensive. And when you have companies like... uh, Goldman Sachs on Washington, on Capitol Hill, they're not out there, you know, giving the money to develop these projects. So you got to understand, like, we need healthy financial companies to get healthy wind projects. I know you're saying, holy mackerel. And another thing that I would do, the last segment I talked about being a little bit of a stock detective, go search T. Boone Pickens. If you, if you really want to invest in wind farms, go, go Google T. Boone Pickens. He's the loudest advocate for it. Now, he's going to give you a lot of the, how shall we say paparazzi a lot of the um, the glamorous side of wind and not necessarily the whole side it's you know it's interesting it's not a coincidence but it's interesting that an oil man wanted to invest in wind and his project ultimately failed 31 cent ice cream today at baskin robbins 31 cent scoops at baskin robbins today just throwing it out there trying to help you my loyal listener get fatter and fatter and more and more diabetic and i own no investments in baskin and robbins so let's talk condoms. And then you're saying, be careful here, Rob. Be careful. Good stuff. Good pull, Heidi. So Trojan, it's a sub-brand of large condoms. Now, ultimately, Magnum is the sub-brand of Trojan. And the market share has climbed considerably. From about 4.6% of the condom market in 2001 to 18.8% today. Now, did you know that Magnum condoms are no bigger than regular condoms? It just, it kind of, it has that play that, yeah, they are. Now, actually, most condoms, they're not too loose. They're actually too tight. About 67, 68% of people complain that they're actually too tight. So Magnum has done this incredible thing. Incredible They're a subculture of condoms. And this is an investment angle, I I promise you. I'm not just talking dirty to talk dirty. Um, People like Ludacris, Kid Rock, Lil Wayne, and Eminem, they mention Magnum in their lyrics because it's assumed that Magnums are for larger-sized men. Print ads are starting to premiere for the first time ever. Magnum's never gone out and said, hey, let's let's talk about, you know, let's, let's market this. People who want it, the Magnums know where they are, so to speak. And um, at the center of a campaign right now, of an ad campaign, again, Trojan owns Magnum. Let me again continue to pound that. They're going to have a contest called Magnum Live Large. 
Now, again, they're already mentioning the word large in the contest. It's magnumlivelarge.com. And you can go to magnumlivelarge.com and you can download bass tracks. And because rappers sing about them, they want you to sing about them. Now, they don't want you to talk about how big you are, how big your, your, your junk is. They want you to talk about how, hey, I'm, I'm hanging out at the Playboy Mansion and, hey, I'm going to funerals and shooting people. Hey, I'm doing this and this and this. So they want you to do the lifestyle. They're not looking for jingles. They're looking for lifestyle. Now, when rappers usually evoke large condoms to imply physical attribute, it's not the point of the contest. In the last 52 weeks, Magnum has garnered $51 million in sales, outselling the entire Durex line for Trojan, whose sales were only $39 million. Now, Trojan, including Magnum, commands 75% of the condom market. Stop and think about that for a second, and... There's a lot of people using condoms. Always had problems with them. It just kind of ruined things for me. Um, but anyway, 75% of the condom market dominated by Trojan. Now, Durex is the other condom out there. And Durex has uh, the other company. And Durex has about a 14% market share. And again, market shares are really super important for you to learn and, and study. Because if Apple can get... of the market share in phones, their stock will double from here. They're not even at that at that level. The Magnum is the most popular condom amongst African Americans, citing internal research that indicates that 22% of all condom purchases, um, but 40% of Magnum purchases are African Americans. So one out of five African Americans pick it up uh, a condom, but 40% of the time when they do, it's it's specifically towards the Magnum brand. It's viewed as a positive lifestyle badge. It's viewed as a positive symbol. People are proud to show that they've got a Magnum condom. The large size really connotes a sense of above-average prowess. So anyway, um, a Magnum condom, though, it's the same length as a standard condom and the same circumference at its base. But there you go. <laughs> you know, there's a little bit more width inside of it. Um, but the circumference of the entry point as well as the length, same as a regular condom. So just I, I think that's interesting to note in large part because... They've done a hell of a job marketing. They've done a hell of a job branding. And the lesson here is take a look at Apple. A Magnum condom is just as important to saying, look, ladies, I'm all big in that stuff. Apple, to me, when you see someone at the gym with an iPhone versus a Zune or an iPhone versus, an, you know, anything else, um, iPod, it's, it's a status symbol. And if you can figure out Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy, if you can figure out Louis Vuitton purses or coach purses, and you can figure out that that connotes I'm somebody unique, I'm somebody more powerful, I'm somebody that you want to be with, that, can, that investment can win. So if you're going to start a business today, think about the product that you are going to create and how it's going to have a unique feel to people. Don't just come out with the best widget. Come out with the best widget that makes people feel sexy. And again, I'm not just staying with the sex theme here. I'm going a little bit different. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639. Let's go from the, the world of sexy condoms to the world of unsexy economists. Right after the break, I'm going to talk to Nero Rubini and what he's talking about with the European Union. You're going to want to hear this. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk.
because you want to be able to afford your midlife crisis. It's the Rob Black Show on 910 AM. More stimulating talk. Call now, 1-800-345-5639. I feel like I'm having a midlife crisis right now. Story on condoms got me all worked up. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. A couple emails have come in that I will address quickly. We don't have to do the email jingle. We can live without it today. Um, one was tied towards a credit report. And Rob says, hi, Rob. Is there a place on the Internet to get a free credit report that's safe? And the one that I recommend is annualcreditreport.com. It's the only authorized source for free annual credit report that's yours by law. The Fair Credit Reporting Act guarantees you access to your credit report for free from each of the three nationwide credit bureau companies, including Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion, every 12 months. The Federal Trade Commission has received complaints from consumers who obviously are going elsewhere to try to get that free. Like the one on the commercial where the guy's a jingly pirate. Don't go there. Even though they buy advertising on radio stations like this, don't go there. One of the things that they try to do, kind of not swindle you, but they get you to sign up for credit monitoring services, and then you get your credit report. And credit monitoring services can be done by you. You can put a a freeze on every one of your accounts if you want to. And when I say accounts at the three big bureaus, Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion, and if someone's going to get a phony credit card and open it up in your name, it's going to be looked up by either... Experian, Equifax, or TransUnion. And you could send them a note and put a note in your file that says, call me at 415-HOT-HOT before anyone opens up any credit on this account. And they legally have to do that. Or you can put in a note in your file that says, um, do not open up any credit. I got all the credit that I need. And, you know, uh, someone, criminal, tries to open an account under your name. They call, you know, TransUnion's run a credit report says, do not open. Done. 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Let's go to Walnut Creek. Chris. Yeah, hey, Rob. You know, um, there's some rumblings of Hertz acquiring Dollar Thrifty Automotive. Yep. And I was wondering how a shareholder of Dollar might benefit at its current price. Um, Is Dollar even publicly traded? Yeah, DTG. Delta Tango George. I feel, stu- I feel stupid. I feel like I've been beaten in the game of uh, ticker symbol Jeopardy because I didn't know that one. Um, yeah, the, yeah. there's definitely rumblings on it. And I don't know if I saw... I did the story earlier this week. I, I don't know if there was a, much of a premium assigned to it. Let's take a quick look. Yeah, and by the way, I sent you an email with the uh, article from uh, Bull and uh, Lipschitz, LLP. Okay. And uh, it goes to um, lay out what uh, exactly it entails, i.e. a $200 million special cash dividend. Yeah, it got, then, uh, thanks, yeah. For the, thanks for the call. It, it got its, it, it got bit up already. On Monday when the deal was announced, uh, it went from $40 a share to about $43, about $39, yeah, $39 a share to about $43 a share. And since then, it's drifted up, kind of a little bit up, a little bit sideways, a little bit down, a little bit sideways, a little bit up. So, yeah, it's already got its uh, premium priced into it. Uh, drivers hoping to save a buck could always go to Dollar Thrifty. I'm not a big fan of this potential merger because I use rental cars and I want as many, many um, businesses out there as possible so I can use better options and better choices and kind of keep each other uh, honest. But DTG has agreed to be acquired by Hertz 
And I think that's pretty much so a done deal. So I don't I don't see a big premium coming from another bidder. Maybe someone will you know, step up at the last second and be a white knight and say, we think Hertz is underpaying. We'll overpay. We'll give you another 10%. But I don't necessarily see that. So 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Now, one of the stories that I've been playing with all day today is the economist Nuriel Rubini. He's got a, a nickname called Dr. Doom. He was an economist who said the housing bubble is going to blow. And you don't want to be anywhere near it when it does. He was right. So he is putting a little waxing pessimistic piece together right now on the European Union. And it's interesting. Basically, the European Union are flummoxed right now. It's a group of basically countries that have got together and unionized and said, let's, let's, let's have the same currency. And that was good during the good times, but now that the world economies are struggling and credit is severely limited, uh, Greece's credit rating has been cut to junk status, and Greece does business in the in the in the euro. So it hurts. You know, one partner's sickness is everyone's sickness. Now, at the Millikan Institute Global Conference in Beverly Hills, and for the record, Nero Rubini has to be kind of a hero of some of yours. He's not a good-looking man. Any parties with college girls. Like, come on. When you're such a good economist or when you're such a famous economist that you can po- call it party, party with college kids, it tells you something. Now, again, it gets a little bit creepy when you start thinking Ben Roethlisberger and things along those lines. But Rubini is a smart guy. I don't agree with him on everything he says. That would make me foolish. But when he says Greece's financial woes and more important, the, the fiscal problems of, of Portugal and Spain, it could batter the global credit markets. It could disrupt the economic recovery and potentially tear apart the 11-year-old European Monetary Union. That's something to think about. That tells me the euro could get very weak. So any company that, that does businesses, does business in the euro, tells me that they may not get the bang for their buck or the bang for their euro, as, as the case may be. He says, quote, the reality is what's happened in the last few months is the first test of the viability of the European market. He said possibility of the European Monetary Union coming apart is significantly rising. Now, Standard Poor's recently downgraded Greece and they lowered Portugal's credit rating. The move in those moves intensifies fears of a contagion, an Asian flu type of situation. Uh, Greece last week formally asked for a $60 billion bailout from the rest of Europe and the, and the International Monetary Fund. Now, Ken, uh, what happened to Bear Stearns, it started to, like, if you've loaned money to Greece and you're a bank, let's say you're Barclays Bank, hypothetical, and you've just loaned them money, and your, your statutes and, and your law says we're allowed to loan $20 for every $1 of real money we have. So we can leverage $1 20 times. Okay, so they've let's say they've loaned Greece a dollar, and Greece basically gets wiped out. Their debt gets forgiven. They can't pay it back. So suddenly, Barclays dollar, it's it's been eliminated. They got to go back to nineteen other people and say, "Give us a dollar back," because they're only allowed to lend twenty times for every one, and that's where it becomes a bit of a contagion. And you start taking money back from other people, or you stop giving credit to other people. And the whole money supply starts to shrink quickly. And when that happens, you see massive recessions, depressions type of situations play out. So Rubini talking about this, it has me interested. Am I going to sleep well tonight? I will. 
Am I going to make love sweet love? I will. Am I going to be so pessimistic that I don't want to have children make love or sleep at night? I won't. But he's in my head. And it's kind of creepy that there's an economist that's in my head, but he is there, and I'm, I'm good with it. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639. Interesting little Bay Area story today. In 2009, I think we all know, was ultimately a tough year for jobs. But today there's a, a, a report that kind of makes it a little bit more formal. And it says the tech, select, the tech sector slash jobs in 2009. For the first time in basically five years, the U.S. tech industry slashed large numbers of skilled workers from its payrolls. The findings were disclosed in a tech trade group's annual analysis of employment and wage trends in the, in the industry. And it could slow an overall improvement in the U.S. economy. What's interesting to note about this is first time in five years that we cut jobs last year in 2009, you would have thought like 2008, maybe, like when things started to get a little bit tougher in the economy, that tech companies would have cut. But last year, tech companies cut 245,000 jobs or 4% of the industry's 5.9 million workers. There's basically 6 million people in America who work in the tech industry, and they cut about 245,000 jobs last year. Now, the good news is, the good news is that most Bay Area companies are talking about hiring this year, and when I say most, three out of five Silicon Valley CEOs say they plan to hire this year. Last year, it was just one out of five. Last year that we really cut jobs was 2004 which kind of followed that 2002 recession. So job cutting tends to come after the recession. I think that's the lesson that we ultimately need to learn there, that um, companies continue to right-size until they, they figure it out. Now, tech manufacturing companies shed the most jobs, 112,000. Engineering and tech services in the communication field shed about 59,000. Software lost about 20,000 jobs. So the manufacturing really got the hardest hit. I think that makes sense because demand was down. So unemployment in the United States at 10%. Tech, uh, hold it up a little bit better. Uh, average pay for a tech employee. You know what it is? Do you know what it is? It is $84,400. That's not bad. The average pay for an average American is $45,400. So tech jobs pay, not double. But, but a good 80 to 90% higher than the average job in America. So mom and dads, teach your kid how to be engineers. Teach them a good left fastball and or teach them how to be engineers because engineers pay the do-re-mi. I'm getting some material that I would refer to as filler material, but it's good stuff. Um, comparing this year in the stock market, some of the statistics from 1981. I like doing some comparisons. Um, it teaches me a lot. The thir- the 30-year Treasury bond in 1981 was 13.6%. Now it's about 4%. So borrowing money back in the 80s was crazy expensive. Now it's incredibly not expensive. What's interesting to note about that is we should be doing better. We should be doing better. The highest marginal income tax rate in 1981, do you know what it was? 69%. Today it's 35%. The capital tax gain was 28% in 1981. Today, it's 15%. So all these statistics that I'm throwing out there for you today says we should be doing a lot better than we currently are. Or we should be in a lot better position. And I don't think a lot of people feel that. Home ownership rate in 1981 was 65% of all Americans. Today, it's 67.4%. Household debt as a percentage of income. Back in 1981, it was only 56%. How much household debt versus your income? 
Today, it's 114%. People are way over leveraged in debt versus um, their income. Now, another sad statistic was in 1981, personal savings rates was about 11.4%. People saved 11% of their money. Today, it's less than 3%. So mortgage debt is a percentage of disposable income. Back in 1981, was roughly 43%. Today, it's 95%. The age of the baby boomer back in 1981 was 17 to 35 years old. Today, the baby boomer is 45 to 63, and they're starting to tax the system. The next 15 years, we're going to see the baby boomers retire, and as they retire, more and more government money is going to be going to them. And that means less government money for wars, less government money for schools, less government money for what government spends money on. And or it means governments raising our taxes to cover some of those promises. Or could they cut plans? I don't think they cut plans. 800-345-5639 if you want to get your calls on the air tomorrow. You'll have to wait 22 hours, but we'll put you on hold. 800-345-5639. It's Rob Black Show. You can drop me an email if you love me. Rob at robblack.com. It's Rob at robblack.com. I'll take uh, 22 hours. I'll come back fully recharged and, and ready to rock and roll with financial information. It's Rob Black Show, 910 AM. More stimulating talk. Should I stay or should I go? It's always taste, taste, taste. You're happy when I'm on my knees. One day is fine and next is black. So if you want me off your back, well, come on. Let me know. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.